I'm Jakob Voigt, the CEO of Catalytic, and this is Unbundled. In this series, I help to demystify technology in the world of business. Join me as we explore how technology can make your business better. In this episode, we're chatting about carbon emissions, we're chat- chatting about a net zero plan, what net zero is, and why it's important, and where South Africa is in a journey uh, compared to the rest of the world. By the end of this episode, you'll have a clearer idea of how to start your N-Zero journey. I'm joined by Kevin Kent from N-Zero. Kevin, welcome. Hey, Yaku. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here. Great to be back in South Africa. I know you asked for me to tell a little bit about myself. Yeah. I spent 19 years managing the data center for the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Uh, Somewhere about halfway through my career, I was really pretty bored. If you're managing a data center, that's a good thing. If you're not bored, it means uh, things aren't going well and you're probably updating your resume. But I had started going to conferences and I was really interested in the facility side of things because we use so much power in data centers. And uh, I started to learn and see techniques on how I could reduce my ineffective use of power and do it relatively with minimal to no cost. So during this time of boredom, I decided I was going to apply some of these principles and say, hey, can I make a difference? Can I increase my PUE? Can I decrease my amount of ineffective use of power? And all of these tactics and techniques, they work beautifully. So in data centers, and I'm sure you know this, word of mouth travels very quickly when things go well and definitely when things go bad. Uh, So word started to get out that I was making some significant impacts at Ohio State, uh, saving them a great deal of money. And then little by little, I got asked the question, hey, the things you did for Ohio State, can you do those in my data center? And like, I'm not sure if I can, but yeah, let's try it. Let's see what we can do. Uh, that led to an early retirement. And I started my own global consulting. And four years ago, that's what brought me to South Africa the first time. Okay. And uh, all of my focus in that work was on scope two. It's a very important work. Data centers globally use tons of power. We have a very large carbon footprint. And uh, reducing scope two is incredibly important, especially in a nation that is using uh, more power than they are generating. And the, the whole you, you load t- shedding. You're talking about South Africa now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the whole load shedding, the first week here, I literally was ready to pack up and go home because I'm sitting uh, every night in complete total darkness with no internet connection, uh, no TV, no anything. But uh, I got past that. Uh, so the uh, being able to reduce that is very important. One of my really good friends uh, that I've known for a while, for many years, uh, he was – was and is the CRO at a company called N Zero. For about a year, we talked back and forth where he really wanted me to come work with him. And my comment was, you don't understand, I'm never going to work for anyone again. Uh, and finally, with his persistence, uh, I had the realization of this. Being able to make a positive environmental impact is really, really important to me. I love the outdoors. I love nature. The beauty of this continent and this country is spectacular. And to think that, you know, a few generations from me, of my own family, that they might not have these opportunities is very motivating to me. So I had this realization. If I really want to make a positive impact on our climate crisis, I need to be able to affect positive change across all three scopes. And that has brought me to my work with N0 and while I've been in South Africa the last three weeks. 
Okay, well, you don't look too worse for wear. So um, I want to get back to the scopes and those things that you're talking about, but let's just start at the, at the beginning almost. Um, what is carbon management and this in zero goal that you're talking about? Yeah, so uh, carbon management, how can I simplify this? Let me give you an example. Many years ago, I was incredibly overweight. I work at a medical center. I go visit my doctor for my yearly exam. He's like, you have two choices. You need to either make changes or you're going to be on blood pressure medication. You're going to have heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and you're going to die a slow, miserable death. Well, I figured maybe I should look at trying to lose weight. Because I worked for a medical center, I was able to be part of an incredible six-month weight loss program. And the most difficult thing, but the most important thing, was I had to track absolutely everything I was eating and drinking. And the reason is this, you cannot manage what you do not measure. And this is what happens as humans. When we're not truly measuring, we always uh, overestimate to what's in our favor, where I'm like, I'm not eating that many carbs, I'm not eating that many calories, and then you really start to look at it. But here's the other part of it. Once I had this very detailed data, making changes became very simple and very effective. I liken that to carbon emissions. Uh, there are many reasons why it's important we reduce emissions. Your question was, what is it and, and how are we doing it? We talk about emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, and we classify them in three scopes. Scope one, those are things that I own and burn, such as natural gas, diesel, refrigerants. If I have company vehicles, even if I don't, when my employees drive from home to the office building and back home, I have to take accounting of that mileage because those are emissions that are associated with my business. That's scope one. Scope two is the easiest. These are Scope two is how is your power being generated? Of course, in South Africa, uh, is a, um, a very abundant supply of coal and what we would call very good and clean coal, if there is such a thing. Uh, and it's how is your power being generated? So for most of us, it's through traditionally fired power plants and definitely in South Africa, uh, that is the case. Scope three, absolutely the most difficult. This is our supply chain. Um, if we're buying merchandise from the point of which it's manufactured and did it come on an airplane, a ship, did UPS, FedEx, DHL deliver that to me? What is my embedded carbon? And the supply chain can be very lengthy for specific companies. Uh, but the idea is once we understand this is what is involved in each one of these scopes, now we have the ability to start measuring and quantifying and see where we need to make reductions and changes. Um, and in the, the follow-on from that is – um, it's, it might sound like a bit of a stupid question, but why is it important? Mm. Uh, so I mentioned that um, the environment and the health of this planet is really important to me. And interestingly, you said something when you were walking in. You said, we're here to save the planet. And I've had people tell me before, oh, you're just trying to save the planet. This is the truth. This planet was around, I want to say, for roughly 4 million years before the very first human was recognized to live here. And long after every human is gone, this planet will still exist. So this isn't about trying to save the planet. It's about trying to save us. There is no planet B. I like that. Yeah, no, it's the truth. The Mother Nature absolutely doesn't need us. As a matter of fact, she's been better off uh, without us. So the reason why, if I look at carbon emissions, back to when we first tracked them, which is 1750, 
we measure greenhouse gas emissions in a metric called parts per million, or PPM. Since that date to I checked it this morning to today, we've increased our greenhouse gas emissions by 49%. So what? Why does that matter? Okay, number one, not a climatologist, and I'm definitely not a scientist, but I am a climate reality leader, and I've invested a lot of time in trying to understand what is this problem, but more importantly, how do we undo it? Here's the role of the atmosphere and what we need to understand. Uh, the sunshine is, radiates and sends heat to the earth. Very simply, the earth takes the amount of heat it needs, rejects it back out to space. As our greenhouse gas emissions rise, as the parts per millions rise, it thickens the atmosphere. Here's where we are now. The radiation still comes through. The earth takes the heat it needs as it tries to reject it back to space. Most of those greenhouse or most of that radiation can no longer escape. And that heat stays within the atmosphere and why we call it the greenhouse effect. We have sea levels that have risen to the point where Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez of the UN said it will now be millennia before we can think about reversing that. We have the uh, Arctic ice shelf melting at a pace so rapid, not even the, the brightest experts predicted this. The Wadey's Glacier, the Brunsite Shelf, is literally disappearing. And it's not the normal calving from the outside. It is melting from the inside out because of the warming of sea levels. What we have learned from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is the only way we can think about no longer, in my lifetime, reversing this, but slowing it, is through rapid and deep reduction of all greenhouse gas emissions. Our government, my government in the U.S., the SEC, they realize this. We need to regulate and mandate how much or how many emissions a business can have. But they were smart enough, dare I say, to understand, I can't ask you to reduce something that you cannot accurately measure. And that uh. goes back to, I cannot manage what I do not measure this is where my work with N0 comes in. It is the only carbon management platform that gives you 24 by 7 visibility across all three scopes, allowing you to make discernible actions and decisions that will affect you financially and operationally. This has been a very well-accepted solution in the U.S. And surprisingly, here in South Africa, they've been very open to the idea. Okay. And, and I imagine that once, um, people see the result of what's being measured, uh, I assume that there's a lot of people that get a big fright about how big the emissions are. It's like you say, if you don't track it, you don't really, you don't really know how much it is. So I haven't seen anyone get frightened, um, because now they have the data. Okay. And, uh, we have an incredible, um, customer success team that will come in and work with companies to say, listen, we understand this is your baseline. This is where you are. And through each scope, uh, these are the discernible actions and changes you can make. And we see quick reductions uh, in there. But um, there is always that aha factor. 
And, and it is with anything. If you haven't been measuring your power consumption in a data center and then all of a sudden you're metered, submetered, or DSIM solution and you start looking at the, there's the amount of power. So I was like, oh, wow, you know, it's a lot more than I thought or a lot less than I thought. But having the actual data there makes a big difference. And, and this is part of the, the conversation that we had now, um, even before this discussion, uh, around just be- just because the resource is available doesn't mean we should just uh, abuse it or, or frivolously use it. Um, if you can optimize the power usage in a data center, then uh, by all means. The, and there's, uh, um, uh, we spoke now about uh, you know you uh, you don't want to create the, the the idea that uh, you know we these uh, envi- these tree hugger environmentalists or whatever. It's about getting the data, seeing how much wastage there is. And there is actually uh, virtually every single time there's commercial benefit to any of your customers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is what, and I know you've seen this, this is what we've learned within data centers and uh, in businesses, uh, cities, governments, outside of data centers, even in our homes, it's the same thing. If I can put a, a Google Nest or a smart thermostat in someone's home, and now they can connect up via their smartphone and the amount of data they have, it helps them reduce the amount of power uh, that they're using. In data centers, it's no different. When we can uh, provide reliable and accurate data, regardless of what it's for to the end users, they manage it incredibly, incredibly well. And here's the rub in data centers. We're responsible for no disruption in service. So reliability is absolutely a king. And if we are going to pay a little bit more or have a little bit higher emissions, uh, but it's not going to negatively affect our reliability, we kind of turn our back to that. So really justified. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I like the way you say that. Uh, really the key is this, and, and this isn't just data centers, but I know in the data center community, we really feel this. So we have this really ominous task and we have been put in a really precarious situation. Your data center, my data center, the ones I've managed, we haven't asked for this incredibly intense demand to always be connected. And in this country, the level of connectivity that the younger generations are requesting is why there will be more data centers built on this continent in the next seven and a half years than the rest of the world. It's that end user demand. So here's the precarious situation. How do I provide this incredibly invaluable service and how do I keep my data center up and running? How do I give the speeds, the lack of latency that our end users want? And how do I do that without causing further harm to the planet? That is an ominous responsibility all the way around. And it keeps me up many, many nights. But, uh, it, but you and I spoke about it now. That is something that uh, in customer has to consider. You, you, you can't abdicate that accountability to your, to your data center provider and say, um, I want the best of everything, but I don't want to worry about that. That's your baby. So, so everybody has to consider that and say, um, um, like you say, maybe the reliability and the redundancy and the latency, all of those things have improved, but it comes at a, at a massive cost to the environment. Yeah, absolutely. So the, this is somewhat of the good news and somewhat of the news that bothers me. Uh, things are going very well in Europe. Uh, things are going very well in the APAC region and now in North America. North America, uh, we've been a little bit behind. Why? Because we can do whatever we want, basically, because there are no rules or regulations. Uh, there are a lot of businesses, a lot of data centers that 
uh, some knowingly, some unknowingly, have claimed to be carbon neutral. And uh, we find out that as we do audits, that they're very far off from that. As a matter of fact, Boston Consulting Group, they have told us this. 90% of the businesses and data centers they've audited in North America, um, most of them, 90% of them, are not measuring correctly. And they're seeing a delta of 60% in the amount of emissions they're reporting compared to what they have. Uh, when we install our platform, we see that more around 70% or higher in uh, in that delta. So when you talked about the, the reliability and, uh, you know, we don't necessarily care. So this is how we have to operate. If we can get data that's accurate, whether it's data centers, hospitals, whatever the vertical, if they have that accurate accurate data, then the risk of creating downtime or latency or disruption of service, it goes away. And I can have hunches and feelings that something will work, but when I have the data that tells me I can make these changes and it will have a positive impact on everything, then it becomes easier to commit to that. Okay. Um, back to your basic question. What is a net zero plan? A net zero plan, number one, it's not just tracking your greenhouse gas emissions. It's also your waste, your e-waste, how you're discarding of things, your water usage, um, and it's about accountability. And it has to start with, as you said, a plan. That as a company, we're not going to put anything in the ground. We will recycle, reuse, and renew everything we can. We will reduce our emissions across all three scopes, and we will make decisions that are not only beneficial for our business, but also beneficial for um, our surrounding areas and the communities that we live in. And then as we start to dissect the plan from the high level down to the low level, it very much becomes a matter of accounting and tracking. I can't make changes to anything if I'm not sure what it is I have and where I'm starting. And, um, to be able to reduce all of those things. And, it, and it's not always reducing. It's also understanding that if I want to offset the amount of carbon I have, I can have positive impacts through my community, whether it's uh, through planting trees, through doing business locally, to ride sharing. There's so many creative things that we can do that some of those areas are reducing, but the others are adding values to the communities and those who live within them. Um, given an end, we, we know business thoughts on their journey. How do they um, assess the current state of play in terms of the emissions that they're um, putting out there? So how do they decide this is where we are and, and where we need to go? Is that well, how do they get to know? Yeah, this is So they start today with uh, N0. Sure. How do they know what the picture looks like? Um, so every business is a little bit different and has different layers of complexity. I've seen businesses who will – hire or consult with sustainability companies to help them paint the picture, develop a plan and a direction to go. I see many businesses that are hiring uh, people who have advanced degrees in sustainability to come and lead their company. Uh, from N0 standpoint, where it starts with us, it's all about gathering the data. And it's all about making sure the data is accurate and that it's available and that it is put into a method that is easy not only to read, but to use and to take action from. And then how do you gather that data? 
Ah, so uh, very interesting. If I can just interject this little story, and I think you'll understand why. So I love how N-Zero was started. There's these two super Joshes. We have Josh Griffin. He is an energy lobbyist, and he has this absolutely intricate knowledge of historical data because he works with government clients, data centers, business clients, and his specialty was gathering accurate historical data. Uh, Our other Josh is a regulatory attorney. He actually works behind the municipalities, behind the power plants, behind the meters, and he has knowledge of the loopholes and back doors where all the real-time emissions are. So those two Joshes, they put their expertise together. They spent four years in stealth mode developing the algorithms and proprietary software that gives us the platform we call N0. So from our standpoint, it's this. We want to be able to gather, first of all, the easiest, your scope to emissions. How do we gather that? 100% of our clients, if we can, which so far it has been, uh, we will do an API bi-directional from their service provider back to our platform. And this allows us to take the emissions um, from that service provider, their static emission factor, uh, and we plug that into our algorithms based on the amount of kilowatt hours the company is providing. And this is where we come up with our real-time emissions for scope one. We, I've seen businesses and data centers be very creative. If they have company vehicles, they can put IoT devices in them. Incidentally, I mentioned to you about uh, Kevin James at GCX, some of the cool things he's doing in Cape Town. He's the first person I've met who has IoT devices on every ship that comes in and out of harbor in Cape Town so they can track their scope one emissions, uh, which is pretty advanced and pretty cool. And then finally, scope three. Um, we are working with a group called the Infrastructure Masons. Uh, they are a global group, and the hyperscalers uh, are committing to report their scope one and three through the iMasons Climate Accord. And iMasons have asked N-Zero if we would How's that information? Why is that important? We mentioned how difficult scope three is. If I talk about a server manufacturer and we talk about the scope three emissions from the plate, the point that that server is built till it gets to my data center, QR code goes on it uh, at the very first step of manufacturing. Each part of the supply chain that it goes through, the QR code gets scanned. It accesses the information in our database from scopes one and scopes three. It gets to Ultra's data center. Bradley scans his QR code. You have your scope one and three emissions and embedded carbon from that specific device. And when we are able to provide our clients that level of data, their level of understanding and how comfortable they are with making reductions becomes very easy and very fun. It's, it's just amazing. There's just so much more we have to talk about this. There's a, there's a, a another concept, um, that you guys, uh, have on your website that I, that I'm not sure what it means. What is greenwashing? <laughs> yeah, that's when I use Irish Spring in the shower. Just kidding. Irish Spring is a green bar of soap. I don't know if you have that. In, no, no, not that. Okay, I, so that's no. a North American joke. Um, so greenwashing, it can happen intentionally or unintentionally. And I mentioned that earlier um, in our conversation. So an example of greenwashing is if I'm a business or a data center, and I know that I'm not carbon neutral, but I'm going to market myself as being such. And in the U.S. without regulation, which right now we're in the proposed state, um, I could feel comfortable doing that because nobody can tell me that I'm not carbon neutral because there hasn't been regulations uh, around that. Unfortunately, there are many businesses who 
feel or felt they were carbon neutral. And um, because of lack of accuracy, working off of outdated averages and static emission factors for their region gave them false data where they felt like, yeah, we're, we're carbon neutral. And then once they were audited, the reality is that they're, they're very far off. So the, the idea that's behind greenwashing is I understand what my greenhouse gas uh, emissions or my CO2 equivalent emissions are. And then I can follow steps from um, the IPCC, um, from all of the sustainability organizations that tell us if you have emissions at this level, the way you offset them or try to undo it is possibly purchasing a renewable energy credit by having a power purchase agreement, by planting trees, by not washing your towel at a hotel for the entire stay that you're there. And the list is so very, very long. And many of these businesses, because they are working on outdated averages, felt that they were in compliance and they weren't. And unfortunately, that's unintentional greenwashing. Why in North America is that important? Uh, the SEC, with their propo- proposed regulations, they have made it very clear. If you're greenwashing, intentional or not, they will find you. And they will find you. So accuracy now becomes very, very important. And uh, the onus to be transparent uh, with all things related to environmental, social, and governance is becoming very, very paramount. Probably for the wrong reasons, but if they're the wrong reasons but get us to the right result, then to me that's irrelevant. Um, and then let's get a little bit controversial um, you and I were sitting having this conversation now. When uh, an enterprise or a business decides to put the infrastructure into a data center, do you think that they um, are taking this emissions component as serious as they should? Uh, we spoke about now. Uh, you know, everybody understands what a what a, 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 a tier rating is and what uh, an ISO and all of those kind of things that they expect out of their data center. Do you think that end customers take that that emissions component as seriously as as they should? Uh, I think when a business is building a data center, I think probably the item that is most paramount to them is reliability, Uh, not having disruption of service. And by the way, uh, we can define disruption of service for the last two years. Latency now is defined as disruption of service. If, oh, really? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, um, State of the Data Center is uh, once a year in North America is a survey that goes out. Two years ago, the data came back saying that, n- no, there not only is there not any applicable downtime that's acceptable, but now slowness. Uh, is considered downtime or latency. So that is, if I'm building a data center, that's the number one thing that comes to mind. So how do I ensure my reliability? Well, we go to N, N plus one, uh, N plus two. We build in so much redundancy. We try to anticipate any and everything that could cause a disruption of service and then add on uh, many layers of extras. So I don't, this is an opinion. I think it's a fairly educated one. I don't think the emissions factors overall are coming into play. Now, if I go to NodePool in the Nordic region, uh, there are uh, some very sustainable data center builders, owners, and operators in North America, as well as here. Uh, there are your uh, pockets of builders, owners, operators that do take it seriously. And um, we are seeing those pockets grow. But reliability, I think, will always 
most likely be king when we talk about data centers because of the service we provide and the expectations behind them. And that to, that to me now comes back to it doesn't absolve us from from answering that uh, sustainability question just because it's difficult to answer. Uh, we sat and we had the, the example, you know, if you go in plus one or two, uh, the amount of extra, for example, diesel that you can throw at something or, or the amount of extra water that you can fr- throw at something um, – we in South Africa, it's a resource scarce scarce country. So, on the one hand, having the reliability is a uh, makes us sleep soundly at night. But but the sustainability factor should play almost equally as big a role as as the reliability component. Yeah, it, in in my desires and what I'm working so hard for, absolutely. I mean, that is textbook and exactly where I want to see us be. Both. Actually, I, I can't even break it down by sectors, sectors globally. It's an ominous task. There's a lot of work ahead of us. And what has to happen is there has to be data centers. And there, there are who are saying we are going to be reliable, but we're going to figure out how we can be sustainable as well. Uh, N0 has been really fortunate to work with many data centers in North America, uh, in Europe, and very soon here in South Africa and Australia. And um, it, it's really exciting to work with people who are saying that, yes, we're going to be reliable. We're going to have our redundancy, but we're also going to be sustainable. We're not sure exactly uh, what it's going to take to get there, but they're willing to take that journey with us. Uh, that keeps me up late at night, not out of concern, but out of sheer excitement and um, wanting to get this job done. So we're evolving and we're going to continue to evolve. We're not where we need to be, but I really think we're starting to move in the right direction. Um, and in South Africa, where are we, how do we uh, compare against uh, the global picture? Uh, like I said to you earlier, I, I always <laughs> have this perception we're about five or ten years uh, behind the, the, the picture, but uh, – What's your view on it? Well, I'm still trying to get past my first week here and all the load shedding. And from where I'm staying, if I'm out on my back patio, I can actually see Vantage's data center. And I would watch, when I was there in the evenings, I would watch the the plumes of diesel come up. And, uh, I, you know, I wonder... Uh, and started to calculate how many data centers are just in Joburg and knowing the sizes in megawatts of them and how much generation service they would have to run and what are the CO2 emissions just from those two to four hours a day was a bit staggering. So um, as far as is keeping track of uh, emissions and reducing, I think South Africa is a lot further along than I thought. Uh, I've talked to so many people and businesses uh, and data centers the last three weeks I've been here. Nobody dislikes the idea or the solution that we have, and everyone is very open to it. And the most common thing that I've heard is we have been looking for something exactly like this. We just didn't know it was out there. So there's very much willingness there, but it always comes back to, uh, and I'm not talking about for a, net, a specific solution or platform. Does it make financial sense? Mm. Uh, if I own a data center, my job is to keep it running and make money. And if I'm spending money, what is my return on the investment? And is it something that's going to allow me to generate more revenue? I can't tell you any of those things can necessarily happen. Uh, I think that they can. But the biggest shift has to be the mindset that sometimes there are things we have to do that might not make financial sense right now, but what we're doing with our environmental responsibility is something that has to be done. 
So um, um, I think part of the journey where we see our customers at is there's a lot of people that um, aren't even in the data center yet. So there's little, I run like a little data room at my office. Load shedding comes in. Now I've got to get generated. So, so we're almost multiplying that, that effect. So as a starting point, what we always advocate is, is, is come into a, into a centralized facility and then we can address the, the issue from there onwards. Um, and like I say, um, I think for us, yeah, in, um, in Gauteng as an example, uh, in winter, uh, you know, when the wind blows in a certain direction, there's this weird ominous smell in the air and we know that's from, from generating petroleum and electricity. Everybody knows it. We breathe in the, the air, et cetera, et cetera. So ultimately, um, you know, we might not be as, uh, as removed from it as, as we'd like to think and say, well, you know, South Africa is a resource constrained country. So it's not really our problem. You know, that's for, uh, for, for the first world to worry about. It might be a lot closer to home than, than we thought. Um, given so, so if somebody now who operates a, a data center business or a, I guess a manufacturing facility or a municipality that's doing a lot of these things and they listen to you, how do they start this journey if it hasn't been on the agenda at all? Um, I mean, there's there's many, many different ways that, that they can go about it, but to start the journey is the decision that any business, regardless of the vertical, wants to show environmental responsibility and stewardship for the community that they're operating in or live in. Uh, in as far as tracking emissions and being able to reduce emissions, uh, it's, it's really important that they establish uh, an ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance Program, whether it's with their own staff or whether they're outsourcing to a staff. And ultimately, the company has to build their visions and goals. They have a timeline as to this is where we are, this is where we want to be, and then we start filling in the gaps of how they're going to get there. N0 has been really fortunate to work across many verticals and have the opportunity to help accelerate businesses' uh, goal towards achieving net zero. And it's something I'm really really looking forward to to doing in this country. Uh, I am flying home tonight, but I'm already trying to understand how quickly can I come back, and I'm hoping August, September. But um, we're going to keep talking, meeting with people, helping them, helping us understand what their goals are, helping them understand how we can assist and accelerate what they're trying to do. And the end result is to reduce emissions as much as possible. So this is a healthier place, not only for us, but for generations to come. Um, last question. If somebody doesn't know how to put together uh, that ESG, is that something that they can contact in there? Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. We have uh, uh, a plethora of, of environmental scientists, data scientists. We have some of the, the leading experts in the world working for our company. Case in point, when the SEC was trying to decide if they could put together regulations, N0 was one of three companies that the SEC consulted with. And uh, I know that... Um, uh, one of our Joshes, I can't remember which one, uh, does a lot of advising with President Biden and his council. And the reason our solution is uh, so widely accepted is the level of expertise. And it's certainly not me. I'm not talking about from my standpoint. I'm talking yeah. about from the, the team that um, uh, is behind our platform. They are considered the best in the world and why we've had so much success. Excellent. Kevin, thank you very much. It was great talking to you. Yeah, Yaku, thank you. It's quite an honor to be here and look forward to seeing you in the upcoming months.
Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Unbundled, brought to you by Catalytic, a series that aims to demystify technology so that you can make smarter decisions for your business. Remember that you can listen to all of the episodes on the Cliff Central Apple website, and for added convenience, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And uh, if you're looking for help with communications tools in your business, please visit catalytic.co.za. Cliffcentral.com